Hello and welcome to episode 127 of The Tech Reformation, where the world of technology meets the worldview of Christianity. I'm your host this week, Derek Mast, and joining us this week is Craig Ellis from Australia. Howdy. How's it going? And our special guest uh, this week is Rachel Stark, joining us from Silicon Valley. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on today. Rachel is a consultant in Silicon Valley. Uh, she uh, helps businesses achieve growth potential, and she's very uh, familiar with uh, that culture and, and the technology field as a whole. Uh, so we're really excited to have her on. She's also a writer. Uh, she's written for many organizations. Uh, we're talking this week about a Christianity Today article that she wrote called Internet or Incarnation, talking about the digital disruptions coming up through seminaries and churches in the last decade or so that enable and enhance distance learning. So without further ado, let's get into it. So Rachel, what uh, drove you to write this article? Oh, a lot of different factors. Um, Partly it was to do with the the work that I do today, which involves a mixture of um, digital, online, and in-person training myself professionally. But also Mm -hmm. I have been, I've grown up in the world of um, the Reformed Baptist tradition. I'm a multiple generation Reformed Baptist preacher's daughter, and Mm -hmm. I attended Bible college as did my husband. And... um, Growing up in my house, we had a lot of seminary students, so have been very interested in the world of Christian-based education for a long time, and beginning to observe some of the trends that I experienced in my professional life, sort of really moving into the church was a fascinating phenomenon to me, because what I've observed is the church is both the last, usually, to think about some of these things or to see them coming, and then they're often then racing to catch up, and they sort of want to adopt them without really stepping back and thinking about just the, the are there theological underpinnings to you know I remember the controversy over just putting up PowerPoint slides instead of using a handbook. Oh, yes. I have been involved in church controversies over whether you should you know put a big screen of the preacher's head in mid you know in the middle of the giant sanctuary so that the dear senior saints can be able to see him better. And that caused, you know, all kinds of controversy. So um, just trying to think through these things theologically. And then what actually triggered the article was the news of Fuller Seminary's changes um, with um, online education beginning to, in business we call it cannibalization. Um, Online education is beginning to literally cannibalize in-person education um, across not just seminary institutions but also um, secular ones as well. And so with Fuller, even just recently in the last week or so, they've announced that they've actually sold their main campus in Pasadena, that they're moving to a less expensive location, and that online education has um, begun to really influence the way they think about what they offer, how they offer it. So it was just a fascinating topic to help prospective students think about from a intentional biblical worldview, what are the benefits and then what are also the drawbacks to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just to be clear, we're talking about like, uh, basically online, online seminary, like with, you know, perhaps video chats with professors or, you know, um, general online materials and then quizzes and that, that sort of stuff. Right. Yes. But also, in fact, as I mentioned in the article, there are some seminaries in some parts of the country that literally offer 100% online and did degrees. So you can learn to be a preacher over the internet. Um, as 
as sort of innovative as that sounds. And in some traditions, you know, we're allergic to the term innovation. You know, if it, if it hasn't been done in the last, you know, 100 years, we don't want to touch it. Others are very, very interested in being innovative. But um, it is literally up to taking video recordings of yourself preaching and submitting those, you know, uploading them to the cloud and having a professor assess them, offer feedback, all from the comfort of your own home or your own geographical location. So you, uh, in the article, you brought up an interesting study regarding the topic of read versus spoken communication. Uh, can you talk about some of the details with that? That was really interesting. Yes, it was a really interesting, um, it was posted in the Washington Post last year, and it was actually in the context of the election season and all that was going on on the internet and, and you know, the infamous battles that go on there. But the name of the study was called The Humanizing Voice, How Speech Reveals and Text Conceals a More Thoughtful Mind in the Midst of Disagreement. What was so fascinating about it and really shaping for me on a very personal level in terms of how I engage with others online was the role that the human voice plays in persuading someone else about the validity, not just of, not just of the argument, but of the validity of the perspective of the person giving it. And what it exposed was when we are um, reading about a contentious topic and we are simply using text to read about it. So we're thinking Facebook, you're thinking Twitter, all of those text-based methods of communication. We have a tendency to bring our own biases based on our beliefs about that topic to the person who, whose words we are reading. And if we don't agree with the argument, we tend to bring some biases negatively about that person. And that's a very polite way of saying that's when we start to get into an argument, either in our own heads or online. When you hear the exact same words being spoken, the experiments involved reading a speech, a speech delivered by someone named John, like John F. Kennedy, for example. Um, one group would read the text of the speech. The other group would watch him actually give it. And what was observed was the credibility of the person um, delivering it went up when you saw it. In, in, in your mind, in, in, in my mind, I would say, I don't believe this way when I would read the text, but if I would see him, it became more persuasive. So the takeaway was that, you know, text-based methods of communication, think about it. Think about all the ways of communicating that seem to be fraught with conflict, anxiety, uncertainty, text messaging, chat at work, email at work, Facebook, Twitter, all of those platforms. All of those are primarily text-based speech. Podcasting, on the other hand, is a voice-based um, method of speech. Um, so it became a very um, interesting data point for people to consider, basically, why are you getting you know, mad at strangers on the Internet over political things? It might actually have something to do with the method that you're using to communicate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that sort of thing... Uh, just as like, like, just as a passing comment, the, like we've talked about like kids coming up and try, trying to figure out how to deal with text-based communication too, like that, that is, they recognize the anxiety involved in that sort of medium as well, which is, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting, uh, thing to keep in mind. What are some of the benefits seminaries are seeing with the advent of technology like this that enables distance learning? 
So some of the benefits, there's really two categories of benefits. One is for drawing in new populations of students. And we want to think broadly in terms of, you know, there are some institutions where they have an undergrad Bible college as well as a advanced you know, seminary. So there's kind of, if you think about the whole range, one of the benefits of online education is it can help draw in a population of students at a younger age. If Maybe if they're in undergrad programs or they're even in high school. I talked to um, one school, I think it was King's College actually in New York City, that has a program that enables kids that homeschool or are still in high school to begin to take college classes. And that draws them, draws a new population of students towards the school and gives them a, a kind of a, an easier on-ramp and draws them into then in-person education later on. Um, the other one is most definitely enabling people in remote locations. And by remote, I you know, something like just living in a rural area where they're just you're not at a center of learning for the larger institutions. Or even if you are an adult at a later stage of life, you're embedded in your ministry already, or you're embedded with your family, or you are embedded financially, where um, the cost that it takes in terms of immediate dollars to invest in seminary training, as well as the cost of time, moving, moving your family, when that's really prohibitive, online education has been a breakthrough in terms of opening up those opportunities to those kinds of populations of people. And I think that's something, when I went into doing some of the research around it, I was a little biased against. I had a very, what I felt was a very informed, you know, biblical perspective on, you know, the importance of incarnationality and all these kinds of things. And yet I was really, I was really um, sort of corrected in those prejudices a little bit. Again, not thinking about folks that are really committed to the ministries that they have in their communities, that they are, that they want seminary education to bless. Online education gives them a way to pursue some of those things in a way that 20, 30, 40 years ago, um, you just wouldn't have had those possibilities. That's really cool. And and what are some of the pain points involved? Well, the pain points, obviously, one we just are seeing in real time with Fuller, the pain points are somewhat internal. If we think about um, the disruption in literal cash flow as and and resources. In-person education isn't just expensive for students, it's costly for the administration. Real estate costs money. Upkeep costs money. And so you need a balance of influx of in-person students to pay for those costs, pay for professor salaries. Um, so that's really where, you know, that the biggest category of pain point is. And that's why you're seeing cases like Fuller, where they're having to make really dramatic decisions on a financial basis because, um, they have been too good at drawing in an online population that's then again, cannibalizing the, the in-person program. So I think that's one category as far as student population goes, I think that's still something that is being figured out in real time. I think a lot of students who see the economic potential of online education, they may get into it. Um, there is a difference of discipline in how you go through the rhythms of student life if you're going to be doing them as an online student. And I should back up and talk about, you know, there are, there's two modes of online learning, what is called asynchronous learning, where it's very self-paced and you are watching classes and submitting papers and maybe interacting via chat channels with your professor, but you're on your own studying a, a, a class 
at a schedule that you set. Synchronous learning is about a collective experience that is more live. And so kind of like what we're doing now, we're all in our own locations, but we're all talking in real time. And um, so that has a different feel as well. But for some students, it's that experience of, you know, the late night, you know, dorm hangout sessions or all nighter, you know, pulling an all nighter with your roommates, the opportunistic walks to class with a professor or that girl that you've been wanting to talk to, all those bits and pieces of the in-person experience are lacking. And, and that's just the, that's just a relational aspect. Then there is the aspect of the retention of the material. Um, and that's why, you know, when I was uh, talking with the head of Bethlehem Seminary, I was so struck by this concept that seminary is not just about the mind. It is about the shaping of the soul the shaping of a pastor's soul, and, and in that process, shaping them to then shape the souls of the people, the men and women in his church. Is that something that can be fully done in an online, distanced perspective? They, in particular, are have a strong conviction that it can't. So that's the challenge. I think, um, just to jump in here, with uh, I think another possible pain point, and maybe, Rachel, you might be able to speak to whether or not you've encountered this one or whether you um, think it's it's likely to be sort of a, a common one. In 2014, I did a postgraduate uh, diploma completely online uh, with the university at the opposite end of Australia to where I am. Um, and it was sort of a mixture of synchronous and asynchronous. Like the lectures were uh, PowerPoint presentations done by a guy who was lovely but had the most um, put-you-to-sleep voice in the world. Um, so you would have to watch those, but then there were also... Uh, live classes where you would jump on with a, a lecturer or a tutor and they would um, answer questions or they'd walk through some more content and you'd you'd need to discuss that as like a tutorial. And then there were message boards where you had to, like you were required as part of your um, assignment work, I guess, to participate in those things. It felt a lot as a student who was completely online um, studying with a university that had both an online and an offline component that the the experience sort of for the online student was very much um, this is new. This is a new area that we've set up and it's, um, it's fully functional. We're welcoming lots of people into it, but we're still very much working out how it works on the ground as a, as a faculty and as a, a, an institution. So it, it felt a lot of the time, like the in-person students are the ones that we, we get to know them. Like they're, they're real people. We, we, we sort of can connect with them on a, on a day-to-day basis. You online guys are really important to us, but you're kind of over here in this other area. And um, we're kind of trying to fit you in. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of, it's kind of a stretch to kind of cover both bases. And I think part of that is not the fault of the faculty. It's just the, that difference, like you were saying, between um, written versus spoken and real-time versus not real-time. Um, and just the barrier that I guess exists when you're sort of dealing with uh, learning in a, in a university setting is in a lot of ways um, designed at the moment, at least to be a collective thing. You know, people go and sit in a lecture together, they hear the exact same thing. They take notes, they go and do their assignments. Some of those are group assignments. There seems to be a fair bit of collegiality that's built into it when people are then um, trying to have that, but in a non, a non personal sense, in a non face to face sense. Um, the, I guess the, the feeling that I got walking away from that experience was quite different to my first university experience where I was in person. 
Can you sort of speak to that or does that resonate with what you've said? Oh, 100%. And so that's, and, and there are a lot of seminaries and, and, and Bible colleges that are acknowledging that exact issue by offering kind of a hybrid program. So mm-hmm. in other words, instead of needing to be on campus full time, seven days a week, five days a week with all those costs or the other extreme, to your point, where, you know, to make sure that that students are getting that human experience, they actually offer this mix where you spend um, perhaps weekends on campus a couple of times a year or you go for a, a two week intensive where it's round the clock in person um, interaction to build community, to build relationships and then you go back home and you work on tactical assignments. I mean, the, the, the particular thing about seminary training that's interesting is it's it's an interesting mix of, you know, there's language study, mm-hmm. you know, there's basic book study. And some of those things, you know, studying languages has been an online, you know, um, opportunity for many, many you know, decades. That's an mm-hmm. area that is more tactical. And so often you get colleges who will say, okay, for these type of classes, if you're going to be learning Hebrew and Greek, you know, go for it. You can even, you know, for some that are more gifted, you can speed up your own learning. And um, that's the other benefit, I do think, to some aspects of, of asynchronous subject-based learning for, for, thing, for those fundamentals like Hebrew, mm-hmm. like Greek, maybe even like church history, although that, that's a fun one to talk about and fight about. So um, <laughs> it depends on the subject, but, but that's the kind of thought that schools are, are putting into in terms of these hybrid programs. I mean, I've, I've definitely thought about pursuing a, a, a master's degree in theology, and, and those are the programs that I'm most drawn to for that exact reason, because you can mm-hmm. sort of strategize, and the, the programs that they offer with those intensives tend to be very designed to build community, build relationships. One of the best practices that we follow, that I follow professionally with the clients that I work with is we try to be as in-person as possible when we are building relationships for the first time. So Mm -hmm. when I'm meeting a client, and I have the benefit of being in Silicon Valley where a lot of them actually are, always get in the car and drive. We'll never do a, a first level kind of level setting, you know, conversation or meeting if I can get in the car and drive. Mm-hmm. And then from then on, you know, video-based uh, conversations are even more, you know, effective. Um, yep. So for those level-setting, you know, opportunities, I think that's that's something for, for seminaries and colleges to even think about is how do you build community at the beginning and then maybe over time give them more freedom to, um, to work on their own. And honestly, maturity is another factor as well. There's a difference between the, the freshman Bible college student um, fresh out of high school, you know, versus someone who is coming back to school as an adult learner who's felt a call to ministry later in life. Actually, I have mm-hmm. a colleague in my company who is retired from business. He's actually going to Dallas Seminary and is sort of working on the side. But, you know, he's, he's a grandfather, but he's in seminary. Mm-hmm. And um, for him, the ability to sort of learn, you know, be at home and then also to have to, to go in as it provides flexibility, but that's the thing. There are a lot of different influencing factors. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So there was, there was a great line in the article where you state that the Christian life can never be fully digitized. And I'd like for you to talk about that because I really liked it. Was, it was such a good line. It was such a good line. 
Thanks. Maybe we could like make a t-shirt out of that one because I would wear that. There you go. <laughs> um, um, the reason I, I wrote about it that way was, again, because of where I, I live and I, I, I actually alluded in the article to some of my professional background and a season in my career where I was working for a video conferencing company where I began became convicted of this as a personal professional conviction that um, we were, you know, we, we, we worship a God that took on human flesh and lived and walked among us. And not just in some kind of, um, you know, Old Testament, you know, theophany kind of way, but literally submitted himself to the developmental process inside a woman's body and birth and childhood and um, growing into manhood. You know, he ate, he slept, he probably got sick. So he did these things and he, he lived as one of us. And even in our ordinances, um, they are incarnated ordinances. Our two repeatable ordinances are baptism. You know, you are fully immersed in, in water. Well, in my, in my denomination, <laughs> we won't go there. We'll save that for another time. I think all of us here are, are on the Baptist side, right, at the moment? Well, well I certainly am. I'm, I'm a toss-up <laughs> on immersion or not, but, you know. Okay, we'll, we'll have that another day. So, but, you know, and then the Lord's Supper, right? And, mm-hmm. and here's the thing. I am convinced that the meeting together to sit, to hear the word preach, to sing together in worship, to receive the Lord's Supper together as a, as a body of believers, worshiping in real time, communing in real time with the risen Lord Jesus is the most countercultural thing someone in my city in particular can do. My, my city is building a world that is virtual. Virtual reality is, is you know, all the rage right now. Um, we have to think as believers about who we were created to be. And so I think just convictionally, the idea that we can be these individuated human beings um, who can live in little isolated silos, because the fact is literally even the act of, of needing to eat, to take in nourishment, requires the work of a community of people to do where they are putting their hands in the soil and um, you know, growing crops that make the food that gets to our table that then gets into our bodies. You can't do that online. Yeah. They're working on it. Soylent is a, I don't know if you know about Soylent, but you know, Silicon Valley is all about optimizing everything, nutrition, you name it. They are desperately determined to push those limits of our humanity to their limits and really eradicate them. I think as believers in, again, an incarnated Lord, I don't see that as consistent with being made in the image of God. And that's a good thing. I think there is actually a hunger for that. And you read about it um, everywhere, this sort of the digital angst of 21st century life. Um, You're seeing actually in Silicon Valley, these hints of a great hunger for the tangible, for the um, what can be touched and felt and seen um, and held. I think you're going to actually see Silicon Valley go through a series of, uh, you know, a cycle of almost repentance of, uh, you know, and we're, we are seeing it. There is a lot of thinking about, you know, what have we built? Mm. So. I think it reminds me, we did an episode ages ago now called Virtual Reality Baptism. And I think we kind of all came to the, the conclusion from memory that 
how does that even work? Like, like you said, baptism <laughs> is one of those physical things. Like, it needs to be done uh, in person. And and when I was when you were talking about, um, yeah, that sort of uh, the sort of felt need for the in person and the tangible and the real. Um, yeah, I was reminded of. Hebrews ten twenty four and twenty five, uh, where it says, "Let us consider how to stir one other one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another." Um, you know, it's who doesn't want to be stirred up in love and good deeds, and who doesn't want to be encouraged? And it seems like um, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, "You need to meet together for these things. Like this is this is a, a crucial part of living the Christian life. It's doing it together um, and doing it in person. It doesn't mean we can't have." good Christian relationships across distances, um, like even us as podcast hosts. Um, we've ne- never met in person apart from Ben and Tank who went to college together, but the rest of us have, haven't met in person and yet uh, we've built these strong relationships. But that doesn't negate the fact that we're still built for um, real tangible you know, personal interaction with other other believers. Yeah, that, that doesn't take, like, I, I was going to add on to that saying, like, that doesn't, I mean that I don't hunger for like to meet you guys in person. Like that is a thing that I've wanted to do (laughs) for a long time. Um, And yeah, I think, and I think was it, it's like once or twice that John in, in one of his letters or one or two of his letters, he talks about, I have much more to tell you, but I want to tell you in person. I'm, I'm want to come in and see you and talk to you and be with you in person. Um, which is an interesting commentary on even just the technology of writing in the day that, that there there is more you can't communicate everything through through the written word um th- there's much more to that relationship yeah i think about that in terms of you know in what time and space and history did jesus come to earth he could have chosen to come to earth you know, after the invention of electricity um, or the radio, or the television, you know, can you imagine, you know, what would have been history been, been like if he had, you know, been the Billy Graham of his day and filled up stadiums that then used broadcast television, but he chose not to. He mm. came to earth at a time when, you know, the spoken word was it. And that has significance as well. I, so I have an English degree, and part of the reason I have an English degree is because I believe in the power of, of words. We, we, you know, it's worship the word made flesh. I would tell, you know, kids in the, the classes that I was teaching that, you know, we don't, you know, we, God does not reveal himself to us through an interpretive dance, a music video. He reveals himself to us through a book, but it's also through a book that is preached and it's preached in a way where we are all gathered together. Paul is another one I mean, writing from prison. I long to be with you. Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't just about he didn't have Google Chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank, thank goodness for that because I never, I never really understand those interpretive dances when they happen. <laughs> I've seen it in, a, in churches a few times growing up. I've seen that happen, and I'm just like, yeah, this is lost on me. Sorry, oh, it's, is this toilet break time or something? Because I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to hijack that. Just, just that was my fault. I started that one. My apologies. <laughs> So even beyond seminaries, uh, you alluded to this earlier about like how we've how online communities have gone gone to like truncated word like uh, truncated digital words to uh, communicate, and I I know I see this as a bit of a it, it breaks relationships somehow, and I, I think you mentioned that too. But how how do you see this dynamic of uh, 
of of being in person versus online interaction affecting the way the Christian community online behaves? Oh my goodness, that's probably another podcast. It probably is. I, <laughs> well, we've I wasn't been sure to have if I should for a long time. So this question is actually a way of precursoring the next time we have. Yeah, you there we go. It's a teaser trailer, <laughs> which would be great because. Um, and again, that that study about the humanizing of speech really was a polarizing one for me personally in terms of how, how I personally interact. But I see two trends that are concerning, but that also have a way out of them. One is obviously, you know, Twitter wars and, and Facebook wars um, over the controversy of the day. And, you know, I won't get too topical with, with the things that are going on online at the moment. But, but at their heart, you have folks on Twitter uh, and not just folks. So, so again, we are not just strangers on the internet, but if we are regenerate believers, we are family. And we don't need to create as many boundaries around our interactions that just random strangers on the internet do. And so if we have that freedom as believers, why are we not stewarding that freedom by being more thoughtful about more ways of communicating collectively? You know, um, I actually wrote about this uh, about now. It's almost two years ago when we had the Trinity debate over the the eternal subordination of the Son, and there was, I think, literally a four digit um, number of blog posts that were being written by various folks at various different levels of understanding. (laughs) And yet, um, what I observed was so interesting, where there was not a lot of inclination to say, you know, let's get everybody in a room. Let's get, you know, Liam Gallagher and some of these other major figures who have authoritative voices who can speak to this issue. Um, let's, let's get a Google chat or let's do something to not just help elevate the conversation, but diminish the amount of vitriol and, and some of the ungodliness that, that does kind of bubble up. So that's one area. The second one is this, what I'm observing around the area of, the, of private conversation groups, affinity groups, mm-hmm. especially in Facebook, and our, our inclination to retreat and to find folks that are like us so that simply affirm our beliefs. Um, things like screen capturing the words that somebody else has said and taking them to a private group, that makes me increasingly uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that we're being thoughtful enough about just that format for speech. Yes, the person said it publicly, so yes, the words can be publicly disputed. But is it right for us to to take these words, even if we do something like try and you know delete who it's from? And um, is it really clothing ourselves with kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness, patience when we do those kinds of things? Are we in these private groups? For genuine sharpening fellowship, are we there to beat up those that don't believe like us? Um, I even think something like just having accountability in our own congregations with our pastors, with our elders. Um, I have thought more than once, does your pastor know the way you're speaking right now? Or you're a pastor. (laughs) Do your elders know? Do you know the way you're speaking right now? (laughs) Do I know your elders and do I have their email addresses? And should I be screenshotting what you're sending? Right. So there's all these dynamics that I don't think we're being thoughtful enough about yet that we Mm. should. But so one practice that I personally now do follow is if I see on Facebook, if I'm engaging in a conversation with somebody about something controversial, and the minute I sense the temperature of disagreement start to increase, I actually disengage and I will say, and I will often hand out that that research study to say, hey, this is an example of what this study is showing. 
let's talk about it in person. I, I do try and confine those arguments to people in my own congregation or my own community. Um, so I'm, I'm in real time trying to think about ways to model wanting to pursue unity, wanting to be iron sharpening iron, but iron sharpening iron, not iron stabbing somebody else, you know, in that kind of way. <laughs> That's a helpful way to look at it. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on this week. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, where can people find you online if they want to see what you're up to? Oh, my goodness. Uh, a couple of different places. So I am on Twitter at my handles, Rachel Stark. And I have a really poorly formatted blog called The Thinkings of Things. Thinkings is plural because I have to think through things more than once before I know what I actually think. Um, I can feel you there. I, I understand. And <laughs> I am on LinkedIn, and I'm also uh, I do write for publications like Fathom Magazine. I have an article coming out this month that is very heavily concentrated on the technology industry, so I'm excited about that. Um, very cool. But all those are places where people are welcome to reach out to me and uh, sharpen me on these things too. Great. Well, if you would like to join our online community that is purely text-based, and uh, you know clearly that's the way to go, you can go to <laughs> you can go to our Slack at Slack. Maybe we need a video component. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think they do video chat now, but th- yeah, but do. only like we just one on yeah, just one on one if you're if you're not paying, which we definitely aren't. Um, <laughs> You can go to slack.techreformation.com. We've got a lot of wonderful people on there. Uh, our community is really wonderful in that we, I don't think we've, uh, we've maybe had one or two times where we've had like arguments break out that are like actually serious, but uh, you, you people are all great. So join us there. Um, love to hear what you think on the topic. You can also uh, hit us up on Twitter at Tech Reformation. Or go to our website, techreformation.com, to look for past shows and topics. This has been Tech Reformation. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. And I ain't looking back.